Well, good morning, and we want to welcome you uh, to our online service uh, this morning, and uh, trust that you've had a great week in the Lord, and we pray that you've come today for no other reason uh, but to worship the Lord and to learn more about Him and to have an opportunity at a time of invitation uh, to respond uh, to His will for our lives. And it's our prayer that uh, if you tuned in today, uh, maybe for the first time or someone sent this link to you and urged you to click on our service this morning, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, we pray that this would be the day uh, that you would turn and you would open your heart for Him to come in and be Lord of your life as you turn from all your sin and from yourself. And so we want to go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for His guidance, His leadership over this service and over our lives today. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for this another day that you've given us. God, help us to never forget uh, what a gift every day is. And Father, I pray we'll never get over the gift of prayer. Father, we're so thankful that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we can come and have just more than a little talk with you. Father, we can come to you and humble ourselves and praise your holy name. Father, to be able to confess sin that separates us from you, uh, that hinders our relationship with you. Father, to be able uh, to just offer words of thanksgiving, God, for all of the blessings and all of your goodness. God, your faithfulness toward us. Most of all, God, that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die in our place. God, to be able to stand in uh, the gap for others and to be able to pray for them and to pray for their needs. And we do that even right now, Father. We just want to pause and pray, Lord, your blessing and your will be done in the hearts and lives of those, Lord, who stand in need today, those who are dealing with physical adversity. Father, those who are dealing, continuing to deal uh, with loss within the family. God, we pray that peace that passes all understanding that can be only known through Christ will, will be theirs and be known to them today. Father, we do pray that you'll prepare our hearts for the work that you desire to do today in our lives as we respond to your word. God, I pray that uh, any influence that Satan might have over this service and over our lives, Father, he'll be defeated today. Uh, we claim through the blood of Christ that he is a defeated foe. But God, I pray we'll do our part. Father, that we'll focus in today. We'll push away all the distractions and we'll simply focus on you and on your word. And Father, I pray, it is our prayer, that there'll be those at the conclusion of this service uh, that will speak the name Jesus. God, they'll call out to him today for salvation. God, we pray for Christians, God, who stand in need of revival, that they'll speak Jesus today, God, and once again ask Christ to come in and be Lord over every part of their life and to touch them and to revive them. God, I pray in these days uh, that we will be uh, the missionary uh, missionaries that you've called us to be as we live on mission. God, sharing the message that judgment is coming, but salvation can be found through Jesus Christ. Strip away the apathy, strip away the indifference, and might our lives be marked by action and by burden in these days. Bless this time. We pray you'll be honored and you'll be glorified through it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray and amen. You listen to Peggy this morning. She sings. See if life is raging and the storm clouds round me roll I'm tossed about in turmoil 
and it's growing very cold by myself I never make it but this one thing I know when I speak the name of Jesus the storm clouds have to go Praise the Lord. And we pray that peace is known to you uh, today. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that it's a peace that passes all understanding and it can only be known through a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have it, uh, it's our prayer that before this service is concluded today, you'll turn 
and you'll trust Christ to be Lord of your life, and that kind of peace will be known to you. I'll invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah, a study that we began several weeks ago through uh, the minor prophets. They're certainly not minor in importance, uh, but they're minor uh, as far as their length of writing is concerned when compared to the major prophets. The minor prophets were individuals that lived in very, very dark times in the history of Israel. But God, through them, spoke his word to shine light into darkness. And so we'll ask you to be finding the book of Jonah. Last week, we preached on a subject entitled The Reluctant Prophet. And this morning, we simply entitle our message The Reluctant Prophet, Part 2. Uh, we continue to study about the life and the ministry of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And we pick up in chapter 3 in verse number 1 this morning. We're there, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mildly to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands." Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge us and would speak to us today. God, I pray, would open our hearts to the the real reality of where we stand in our walk with you today, whether we have one or whether we don't. Again, God, we pray if there's someone who's never entered into a personal saving relationship with you, that God, you will call them, you'll draw them, and they will choose, as the Ninevites did, God, to turn and to receive your grace and your mercy rather than your judgment. Father, we pray for believers today who stand in need of revival those who have an idol in their heart. God, I pray that they'll turn from that today and they'll experience the reviving touch that only you can bring. God, I pray that as we depart this time together, Father, each of us who have called and named the name of Christ as we've turned from sin and trusted him to be Lord of our life, God, we'll leave with a greater commitment today, a renewed resolve to live on mission in these days, burdened and broken over the reality of hell, and God, always doing our part to share the message that you've put in our hearts and in our mouths that Jesus 
saves. Bless this time. Your will be done in every heart and life. We'll give you thanks. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. And amen. Last week we saw uh, the call of Jonah, that God called him to go to Nineveh. It was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a very wicked nation, uh, one of the most wicked as far as their treatment of their enemy and military campaigns of any nation that has ever existed. They were the sworn and the demonstrated enemy of Israel. And God called Jonah, an Israelite, to go and to proclaim judgment to them. But in that, that message was the opportunity for repentance and renewal, to have a right relationship with God. And so God called Jonah, but Jonah rebelled. Uh, look at chapter 1 and verse 3. But Jonah rose after God called him to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so he rebelled against God. And in so doing that, number one, we saw last week that he forsook his call, the calling that God had placed upon his life, he turned away from. The book of Second Kings uh, says that Jonah was a prophet, but Jonah rebelled against that call upon his life. And then because of that, number two, he had a foolish thought. He thought that he could really escape from the presence of God. He sought to run away from the Lord. Uh, and so he went down to Tarshish to sail away from the presence of the Lord. And friend, you can't. If you belong to Christ, you can never flee from his presence. He sees all. He's always there. Lost or saved, friend, God is omnipresent. He is always there. He is sovereign over all things. What a foolish thought to think that we can hide or run from his presence. And then third, because of that, he forfeited his testimony. The testimony that he had, it's the sum total, not the facade that one creates. But your testimony is really who you are lived out. And Jonah forfeited the solid testimony that he had. He had no testimony which to stand, really, to speak and to challenge people anymore. But fourth, we saw last week that he had the opportunity for a fresh start and a new walk with the Lord. And so we pick up where we left off uh, last week, but we're going to begin with chapter 3, and then we'll end with chapter 2 this morning. Notice these three truths as we continue to study and look this morning at Jonah the reluctant prophet. Number one, I want you to notice this morning, a faithful reply. A faithful reply. Verse number 17 of chapter 1 says that after Jonah had fled from the Lord, he entered into a ship. Uh, there was a great storm that was on the sea. The men began to try to do their part. They cried out to gods that didn't even exist. They woke Jonah up and said, hey, why aren't you crying out to your God? And by the way, who are you? What's your vocation? What are you doing on this ship? And Jonah began to reveal to them who he was and what had happened. And they said, man, why, why have you not obeyed the Lord? How can this storm stop? And Jonah said, it's not going to stop until you throw me in. And they did everything they could to try to keep from throwing Jonah in. But nevertheless, Jonah ended up going into the sea. And the Bible says that once he hit the sea, verse number 17, that the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And Jonah's experience in the whale is really, it's, it's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 40, Jesus spoke of this very thing. He says, for as Jonah was in was three days and for three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There was nothing that could calm the storm, but for yet Jonah 
to be cast into the sea. And there's nothing that could calm God's wrath against sin but Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. And when Jonah hit the water for three days and for three nights, he was in the belly of the great fish. And then the Bible says in verse number 10 of chapter 2 that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry ground. He came out alive and he began his ministry. And Jesus said so he would be in the heart of the earth, in the ground for three days and for three nights. And he was. He died upon the cross. He met God's uh, demands for uh, a sacrifice against sin, for the wages of sin is death. Christ died in our place. They took him off the cross. They placed him in the tomb for three days and three nights. And then on that third day at the appointed time, the Bible says that Jesus came forth out of the grave. And the Bible says he ever lives uh, to make intercession for you and for me. And he's in heaven today. He desires to save you if you've never been saved. He desires to meet your needs spiritually, whatever it is, as a believer today. And so what Jonah experienced in the whale is a beautiful picture of the cross. But it's interesting. We see in, in chapter 2 and verse number 10 that God spoke to the fish and it vomited out him out onto the dry ground. There was no but. Uh, the fish didn't uh, say, well, I'm angry at him because I haven't been able to eat for three days. The fish immediately made, the fish was more obedient than Jonah was. And how sad what a terrible testimony. But now the Bible says in verse number 3, because Jonah has prayed, and we'll look at the depth and the sincerity of that prayer, but he has agreed to do what God called him to do, and that's to go to Nineveh and to preach. And so the Bible says in verse number 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, and thank God for a second chance. Thank God that we have the opportunity when we fail in Him, uh, as, as we, in our walk with Him, that we have the opportunity for a new beginning, an opportunity to experience His reviving touch. And so the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Verse 2, and says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And so he wouldn't come up with his own message. If the message would have been left up to Jonah, well, there's no telling what he would have told them and where he would have told them to go and what they deserved, and what he really thought about who they were as people. But God gave him the message to share with them. And so the Bible says in verse number 3 that Jonah rose, and he went according to the word of the Lord. So he was obedient to do what God had called him to do. And look, listen to the message. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and then he cried out. His message didn't have two points or three points or four points. It, it had eight words. That's all the message was God gave him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he just continued to repeat that message over and over and over again. And if we sat and thought about that today, you know, if you scoured books in the Internet, the greatest messages that have ever been preached, you certainly probably wouldn't find that one. But yet God used it. It's the very message that God gave Jonah to share with the nation that was 40 days about to cross God's deadline for judgment. And the results were, so the people of Nineveh, verse 5, they believed God. They didn't believe Jonah, but they believed God. They believed the message that God had spoken through Jonah. And that word believed, it's the same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis 15 and verse number 6, where after God had called Abraham and God spoke to Abraham and continued to reveal his word, and his will to him. Genesis 15, verse 6 says, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, 
and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That is to say that he had faith in the Word of God, and it was a faith in action. And so the people of Nineveh, they're going to turn. Jesus said that they did. Again, in the passage we looked at earlier, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41, Jesus said the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. He says, and indeed the greater than Jonah is here in your midst. And so Jesus gave evidence and said they responded in a way that by faith that changed their life. They had a faithful reply to the message. Well, how could that happen? How could just in eight words a foreigner showing up? It would be as if you know, someone from South America showed up to Washington, D.C., and began just to walk around the capital, and then it was the capital of Assyria, began to walk around the city and just said, in, in 40 days, judgment's coming against America. In 40 days, judgment's coming. Well, he might make the news if he had a real outrageous uh, costume on of some kind, but no one would probably even listen to him or pay him any attention whatsoever. Our ears and our hearts have become so numb and dull to the Word of God. But there's two truths that are in play here. Number one, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Romans 10, 17. And so what was being shared was the Word of God. They recognize it, and God honors His Word, and the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. There's power in the Word. And so just share God's Word as you live on mission, and let the Word speak. Let the Holy Spirit empower God's Word and work through His Word. And that takes one of the burdens off of you uh, as you seek to live on mission. Uh, in these past years that I've been in ministry, I've sought to disciple people and encourage them to be soul winners, to live on mission. One of the number one concerns are fears that people voice is, I'm afraid I'm not going to know what to say. I'm not going to know how to respond. Well, you don't, it's not up to you to come up with something to respond with. Just let the Word of God speak. Thus saith the Lord. Just share the truths of Scripture and invite people to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of their life. All Jonah had to do was enter the city and cry out the message. And God honored his word and he spoke through his word. But number two, the people had not become hard-hearted to the word. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3 quotes Psalm 97, I should say 95, uh, verses 7 and 8, where the psalmist says, For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He says, Today if you will hear his voice, that is, today, if you will hear his word, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, friend, the, the more a person hears the word of God, the invitation of God, the message of God, the call to repent and trust Christ, and they don't respond, the Bible says they continue to harden their hearts. They make it more difficult the next time to give a faithful reply and to respond. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Just because God calls today doesn't mean that he'll call tomorrow. And, and so it's true, Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why don't you listen to me? If the Spirit doesn't draw, a person won't call. When the Spirit of God stops calling someone and drawing them to salvation, they won't have the opportunity and they won't call anymore because their heart is so hardened. Well, Nineveh hadn't heard the word yet. And so it was an amazing, uh, sovereign work of God. But the people had to choose. 
God didn't just blind them and irresistibly. They chose to turn and trust Christ. They had a choice to make. Choose life or choose death. And so they responded to the message. And, and it was marked by repentance. And repentance is always marked by three things. Concurrence, confession, and change. Number one, you're going to concur with God. You're going to agree with what the Word of God says about you and your life and your sin. And then number two, there's going to be a humble confession of that sin. It's, it's not going to be blaming it on someone else. You're going to, I've done this. God, forgive me. For it's not that it's, a, again, a big misunderstanding. God, we're just, we really, you just don't understand. No, when, when God says, you're the one, you've done this, you have to concur, and then number two, you have to confess, and then third, repentance is going to be marked by change. There's going to be a difference in, in your life. And so it was with the people of Nineveh. Look at verse number six of chapter three. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. This is the leader. Uh, this is, if, if you compare, if you've been reading through the Bible since the first of the year, we've started over. Compare this to the heart of Pharaoh, who hardened his heart, and as a result, God hardened his heart. There were two forces at work. He, by his refusal to turn every time he would not respond to the message of God through Moses, he hardened his heart, but God hardened it as well. Uh, but here, this king, his heart is not hardened yet. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. That is, he didn't stand with a fist of defiance and say, who's God that he should tell us that uh, judgment's going to come? We're Assyria. Who, tell them to come on. We'll fight. We, fought, we've, we found victory over every other army. We'll find victory again. That wasn't the case. God spoke through his word. They were humbled in their hearts. They were fearful. And they knew that there was a force that, who, who they didn't even fully know now. Uh, that because of conscience, the book of Romans says, and creation, they knew that there was a God that was greater than they. And the king got off of his throne. And friend, you're never going to repent. You're never going to receive Christ until you get off the throne and you let Jesus sit down. That means you humble your life before him. And as a disciple, it's a daily thing that you're going to do. Luke 9, 23, you're going to have to daily choose to get off the throne of your life. That's the pull of the world is to enthrone yourself. Follow your heart. You be happy. And all of secular, quote-unquote, Christian teaching today, that's what it's all about, how you can be your best you now. Live every day like it's Friday. It's all about you. Well, the call of Christ is you don't exist. You die. It's Jesus first, others second, and you're dead last. And so the king got off of his throne. He dethroned himself. And look at this. He laid aside his robe. All the visible markings that indicated that he was the man. He took off. And he humbled himself before God. The Bible says in verse number 6, he covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. He set the tone. He led the entire king. And, and what would happen in families? Again, if dads would begin to do that today, to stop trying to please all the children and, and, and be their friend and give them all these things that aren't going to matter in eternity, but just cut the lace off their Levi's and be the men of the home that God has called me and just say, look, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. How many moms would get behind them and would just begin to follow? If, if men would just take the leadership role that God designed them and has called them to have and just do that. What would happen in our country? Can you imagine at an inauguration... If after a president was swore in, before he got up and gave his speech, he just got down on his face 
in front of the microphone podium, just got down on his face and began to cry out to God for mercy on this country and say, God, forgive us. Forgive us for the millions of babies that we've murdered. Forgive us for the immorality that we've legalized. Just forgive us for all of our sin. And God, my first executive order is I'm calling for a fast and I'm calling for a time of brokenness in prayer. What would happen uh, if, if, that, if, if, if the president would do that? And that's what this king did, and it influenced the entire country. It moved them to call upon the Lord and to humble themselves and to repent of their sin. And so he made his decree, verse number 8. He says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways. He says, the direction we've been going, he says, it's wrong. He says, and we've got to go the other way. So we're turning from the direction that we've been going and from the violence that's in our hands. He says, this, we're, we're concurring. God says we're sinful, we're sinful. And we're confessing, God, we've done this. And so they begin to call out with, with whatever they knew to do, with as little as they knew, they, they responded with what light had been shown into their hearts. And the Bible says in verse number 10 that God saw their works. He saw there was change. They concurred with God. They confessed. And God saw their works. He saw that it was real. And what was taking place was a reflection of their heart. Don't miss that because we're going to revisit it later. The words that came across their mouth were a true reflection of their heart. They wanted to change. They wanted to be different. They wanted to be the people of God. At that moment, they wanted to be different than they had been. And that's the same message that John the Baptist has had as he was, he was beginning to lay a foundation for Christ to come in and begin his ministry. As he preached a message of repentance and he called people to turn from their sin. The Bible says in verse number 8 of Matthew chapter 3, he says, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. These, you're saying you're coming and you're repenting, you're being baptized to show that you've repented. He says, but your life better show that you've repented. It's more than just words. It's not coming forward and just signing a card and being a member of the church. It, it's, the result is going to be if there's real repentance that's taking place, you're going to be different. And again, I, I've shared many times, the greatest cult in America, it's, it's the good Baptist. And, and that's the reigning cult here in the South. Just join the church, get your name on the roll, especially if you get in the photo book, man, you're really in then. But just sign a card, be baptized, and you're golden. But friend, that's not, that's not what it's about. Salvation is about repenting, Luke 13, 3, and Romans 10, 9, 10, faith. Those are the two things that are involved in a saving relationship with Christ. Repenting of sin and by faith trusting Christ to be Lord of one's life. If that hasn't happened, then salvation hasn't happened. Because when that happens, there's going to be change. The Holy Spirit's going to come in, and you're going to walk different. You're going to be a new creature, and it's going to be change that can only be found because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so God saw their works. He saw that they were different. They weren't working for salvation, but he saw because they truly repented, there was change. There was difference. And the Bible says that they'd turned from their evil way, verse 10, and then because of that, God relented. And it's not that they changed God's mind. They got on the right side of God. It's been wisely said before that God is like a weather vane or God is like the wind. And 
his force upon your life determines what side of him you're on. You see, if, if you sail into the wind, you're going to experience hardship and judgment. But if you're on the other side of the wind, the wind is in your sails and you experience its blessing. And so the, the, the nation of Assyria there at Nineveh, respectfully, they had a choice to make. Re -re receive God's judgment or receive God's mercy and grace. And friend, I'm telling you, it is that simple still today. You, you either receive Jesus Christ and you receive God's grace and God's mercy or one day, my friend, you'll draw your last breath and you'll receive God's judgment in a place called hell. There's no in-between. There's not 150 ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven, the Bible says, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, you, every person has a choice to make. You'll either receive God's judgment or you'll receive His grace and mercy. And the only way that you'll receive His grace and mercy is with a faithful reply. That is, repentance, concurring with God, confessing sin, and repenting, and by faith, trusting Christ to be Lord of your life. And that's the change this country needs. And I realize the day in which we're living, there's already people planting. Listen, our, our country revolves around elections. And I'm not saying here today that it doesn't matter who's in office because we've seen recent days. It surely does. But friend, I'm telling you, Republicans have been in office. Democrats have been in office. They've been in. They've been out. And we're still where we are today. A, a change in the White House and a change in Senate and Congress isn't going to fix the fundamental need of our country. The fundamental need of our country is not revival. It is a spiritual awakening. You can't revive what's never been vived. The church needs revival. Our country needs a saving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That was the need in Nineveh, and it's the need still today. It's the fundamental need in every person's life. And so they repented because Jonah told them that judgment was 40 days away. And that's what God calls us to do today. Just to warn people of the judgment that's going to come against their soul. It's uncomfortable. There's going to be spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, Satan's going to try to make you feel foolish, stupid, uh, to try to bring fear upon your heart. What if they reject me? All of these, whatever it takes to keep you from being faithful, to get you busy, to keep your life full of idols, so that you focus and spend time and give all your life to those things, rather than the main thing that God's called you to do. The thing that has the most eternal impact, and that's warning people about hell, sharing with them God's love, how he demonstrated that he sent Christ to die for them, and their fundamental responsibility to choose to repent and trust Christ or to die and go to hell. It's their choice. There's only two choices, and that's what God calls us to do. Jonah, the people faithfully replied, but Jonah faithfully replied. He did do what God called him to do. And as a result of sharing God's message, people got saved and God relented from his judgment. Will we faithfully reply in these days and be faithful to live on mission, to reach, to teach, and encourage? So we see a faithful reply. Number two now, notice, a foolish response. A foolish response. You know, if the story of Jonah stopped right here, Jonah would be a hero. I mean, there would just be study after, I mean, really, there would just be, he would be the, the, the working class spiritual hero because he had, he had failed. 
he had turned, but God gave him a second chance, and he responded to the second chance. And then he went and shared with Nineveh. And then 120,000 people got saved. And, and, and you know, be like Jonah. There had been, you know, it would have been another WWJ. What would Jonah do? How would Jonah respond in this witnessing situation? It had been all about Jonah. But alas, there's chapter 4. There's the truth about really what was in Jonah's heart. What challenges us to really take inventory of what's in our heart and how we see other people who have wronged us and who think different and who live differently than, than we had. He could have been a hero, but he really turned out to be spiritually a zero as far as someone to follow. Look what the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 1. A foolish response. So, God saw their works, verse 10 of chapter 3, 120,000 people, verse 11, got saved, of chapter 4 says. And, man, how amazing would that have been? I mean, there's not a preacher, an evangelist, anyone, a Bible ministry teacher working on the Wana worker that doesn't want to see people get saved. People grow. That when we give invitations, we want to see people respond. Not for, not for pride's sake, but for eternity's sake. For their sake. And so 120,000 people turned and changed. There was, there was a spiritual awakening that took place. And the Bible says in verse number 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. It, uh, picture this in modern day. It's as if there's a football stadium pre-COVID or post-COVID, we pray, that was jam-packed full of people. A stage is in the center. Uh, the, the most popular Southern Gospel quartets there to sing and to get the people's feet tapping and to, to, to share some truth for, through their songs. And then the evangelist comes. And he preaches John 3.16 as it's never been preached before. And with brokenness, he, he invites the people to turn and trust Jesus Christ. And when it happens, people begin to leave their seats and they come forward, and they fall on their faces at the foot of the stage on the field, and they cry out in mercy for God to save their soul so they won't die and go to hell. And the evangelist leaves the stage, and he goes back to his dressing room. In verse number 1, he's angry. He's upset that people got saved. You say, that makes no sense. That's foolish. It doesn't. But that's yet what Jonah did. The Bible says, at the thought and the sight of all these people who got saved, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he got angry. Verse number 2, So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Our Lord God was not this what I said while I was still in my country. Therefore I've, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant love and kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He said, I knew this was going to happen. I knew if I came down here to Nineveh and I told people about you because you're merciful and you're gracious, I knew you'd save them. What he was really saying was, God, I wanted all 120,000 of them to die and burn in hell. They deserve it. That's what they deserve. He says, so because all these people have done this, therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life for me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He said, I'd rather die then think another second about the thought that these people aren't going to go to hell. How foolish a thing to say. How sad that this took place. And, and listen, to, listen to the things he eight times in verses 2 through 3 are the words, I, me, and mine. It's all about Jonah. It's, it's, it's like a small child, mine. 
me. I want this. He had no concern about others. It was all about Jonah. And that's really where his heart was. It was all about Jonah and his idol, which was his hatred. He hated Assyria, and he did not want them to experience the grace and the mercy that he had experienced, if he had. He was so filled with hate and so filled with anger. Ah, me, my. In verse number 4, God says, is it right for you to be angry? Well, God knew the question for that, but it's the same kind of question when God spoke to Adam in the garden. There Adam was hiding, naked. He had just sinned, trying to make an apron of fig leaves to hide the shame of his sin. And God said, Adam, where are you? Well, God knew where he was. But Adam needed to think about it. Genesis chapter 32, the pre-New Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord wrestling with Jacob. And he asked him, what's your name? Well, the Lord knew what his name was, but Jacob needed to think about what it meant to be Jacob, what it represented. Well, God knew that it wasn't right for him to be angry, but he asked him, is it really right for you to be angry about this? The answer was no, it wasn't. But he needed to hear that convicting call from the Lord. Is the direction you're going right? Is this right? The way you think, the way you're responding to ministry and my heart, Genesis 12, 3, that all people be saved. There was God's plan from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that all people would have the opportunity to be saved. Jesus, is it really right for you to be doing this? Well, Jonah, you know, he just he couldn't believe that Assyria could really be saved. And it was really just all show. So the Bible says in verse number 5, Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made for himself a shelter to see, to, and, to, and sat in it under the shade till he might see what would become the city. Well, I'm going to watch them. There's no way they're... I'm just, you just wait, God. They'll turn back to the old Assyria. It just, it's just a matter of time. It's number, but really it wasn't about doubt. He wanted to see so he could rejoice that they would fall in their sin again. In verse number 6, the Bible says God's going to teach Jonah a lesson or attempt to. And the Lord God prepared a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah that he might, it might be shade for his head, deliver him from his misery. The, the, the heat of the day only added to the internal misery that he had. And the Bible says in verse number 6, don't miss it, look at it, the last part of verse 6. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. That word grateful in the Hebrew, it literally means to rejoice with great joy. 120,000 people just passed from death to life, and Jonah's angry about that. A plant that has no soul grows up and provides him shade, and it's the best thing that's happened to him in years. He's rejoicing greatly in the fact that a plant has now grown over him and is keeping shade off of his head. His, his main focus, what brings him joy, are things that have no eternal significance whatsoever. And you say, well, that, that makes absolutely no sin whatsoever. Friend, listen, that's what unrepented sin does. It leads to spiritual insanity. You become deluded, delusional. You respond to life and you make decisions in a way that, that are unwise because your sin has separated you from God. 
Psalm 66, verse 18, you, you, you're not able to have a right relationship with God through your prayer life anymore. And so to be able to have the mind of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to guide you in God's Word and to help you make decisions, now you've separated yourself from that and you make foolish, silly, can I just say stupid decisions that you otherwise wouldn't make if your life was surrendered, Ephesians 5, 18, to the Lordship of Christ. And he wasn't just resident, but he was president. He was ruling and reigning over your life. And so here Joan is, the best thing that's ever happened to him. 120,000 people got saved. That's horrible. A plant grows and keeps shade off his head. That is great. It's just absolutely wonderful. Well, the Bible says that God sent uh, the next morning a worm, verse 7. This morning dawned the next day. God prepared a worm so that it damaged the plant and it withered. It withered. And, 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 and so now he's even more upset. The Bible says in verse 9, it happened when the sun arose and God prepared a vehement east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he grew faint. And now he wished death for himself. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. My precious plant is gone. God, kill me. He couldn't see that there were, there were more cities to share with or he could go right back into Nineveh and start discipling them. Helping them to grow. And instead of killing other nations, they could go out and share life with other nations. But all he was focused on was his little plant. And I've submitted to you several times over the past few weeks the reason our country is in the shape that it's in because the church has focused on its little plant. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. But whatever's been the main source of rejoicing for local churches. That's what they've rejoiced in. And when the plant dies, there's no joy. Rather than just having joy in the Lord, Nehemiah, and being faithful to live on mission and share his word. That's the reason the country's in the shape that it's in. And it's a good question to ask today. You know, God, do I have a little plant in my life? Fill in the blank that, I, that, that, that I'm really greatly rejoicing in. Because first his idol was his hatred. He hated the people, and now the idol that he has, it's a plant that a worm could eat in one day. That was the source of his joy. You see, friend, when, when you become that delusional, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, when we quench the Spirit, his, his voice and His working in our life, then you can't see people or ministry or life as you should anymore. And, and Jonah he forgot what ministry was really all about. And it happens in the church all the time. That's the need daily, friend, to make sure we pray, we confess our sin. And Ephesians 5.18, we're filled with the Spirit and submitted to His leadership. Because if we don't, we end up making foolish responses to life and to the priorities that God has given us. Well, the question bears out, you know, why was Jonah's heart this way? If this was the foolish response that he made to Nineveh getting saved and turning away from their sin and surrendering to God's lordship, why did this happen? How could his heart be this way? Well, number three, it's because there was a faulty repentance. A faulty repentance. Turn back with me to chapter number two. Verse one, chapter one, verse 17 says that after they threw him into the ocean, God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And so, again, don't make God hem you up. 
Don't make him drive you to your knees to get your attention to where all other distractions are gone. Don't make him put you in the hospital. I'm not trying to scare you, friend. I'm trying to be real. Don't make him put you in the hospital bed. Don't make him put you in the chair where you're getting chemo for hours on end to where you've got to be still and listen to his voice. Don't make God hem you up. Respond to the Lord when he speaks to you, when he asks those questions. Is the direction you're going right? Is this priority in your right life right? Are these things that you're giving the best of your time and your resources and your finances to, are they really right? Respond to the Lord right then. Jonah didn't, and so he's going to be in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. Verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly's fish. So that's, that's where he is. He, that's where he begins to pray. And he says, I, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Don't make God send the affliction to get you to begin to pray. Do it in the best of times and the worst times. Do it at all times. Pray without ceasing. We're encouraged by the New Testament. And so it was because of the, the hardship that he began to pray. But just to pick out some parts of his prayer as he begins to deal with God and to quote-unquote confess his sin. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Well, that was true. He had turned away from God. He was living for himself. He wasn't walking with the Lord. He wasn't daily following God and his word. And that's the call of Christ on our life. Look, 923. To, to daily forsake ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus Christ. Where he goes, we go. And his word is to be a lamp in our feet, a light in our path. We solely focus and turn and walk after him. And so that's what he says, I, I, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Verse number 7 says, when my soul fainted within me. He's in need of revival. Spiritually, he's fainted. He says, when my soul fainted within me. He says, I remembered, I remembered the Lord. Well, he should have been remembering at all times. And friends, so often that's what we see in ministry. People who live for the world, they don't darken the door of the church except Christmas, Easter, or funeral. But when hardship comes, when they get a bad report, they're here. And, we're, and, and it's the place to be. But don't miss the point. The majority of times, they'll hit the altar. They'll pray. They want people to pray for them. But when they're out of the belly of the fish, when the challenge and the adversity is gone, where's their commitment to God? It's no more. Now Jonas, he has hardship, and now he remembers the Lord. We should remember Him at all times. We should remember Him in the morning. We remember as we pray. We remember Him as we study His Word. We remember Him as we walk. We remember Him as we're sharing Him with others. We fellowship. Listen, friend, the best definition of worship is just enjoying the presence of God. And the best way to do that is through obedience to His Word. Well, now He remembers the Lord, and so He begins to pray. He says, and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple... Now listen, he speaks truth here, but he doesn't own it. It's not personalized. That's why we're talking about a faulty repentance that we see evidenced in chapter 4. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. He said, those that have something they love and worship and give more time and attention to than God, they forsake mercy. Well, what was his idol? It was hate. He hated the nation of Assyria. He absolutely despised these people. So he spoke 
truth, but he really had no repentance. He concurred with God, but he's not confessing. Nowhere in this prayer do we see that he says, God, I failed you. God, I've sinned against you. He said, I'll go do something for you. But he didn't say, God, this is, this is my fault. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And God, I've hated these people. And God, I want you to help me to love them as you love them. It's something you've got to do. He doesn't do that. He just simply speaks truth. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And everybody would have been, amen. He spoke truth, but he didn't personalize it. There was no confession, and there certainly was no change. How do we know that he had a faulty repentance? Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, because the hate is still there. We can almost see him walking around the city just murmuring, you know, the message as he begins to speak to people. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And his heart, I hope they don't hear. I hope they don't hear. I can't stand these people. He shared the message. God told him to do it. And he was obedient to do it because God had hemmed him up and he didn't want to be in the belly of the whale anymore. But he didn't agree with God as why he got there. And so it was, it was a faulty repentance. He said all the right things, but don't miss this. The words didn't reflect his heart. Didn't reflect his heart. And so again, witnessing and trying to live on mission, it's not about choking people down and trying to get them to pray a prayer. If I can just get them to pray their Now repeat after me. I, I'm, and, and listen, we do that in invitations. And we're going to do it again this morning. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray. But listen, if it doesn't reflect a broken heart that concurs with God about your sin, and you're truly confessing your sin, and you really want the Holy Spirit to come in and bring about change that can only come when Jesus is Lord of your life and you pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, then all, it's, all it is, friend, is just words. It has to reflect a repentant heart. And as a believer, when you know you stand in need of revival, if you won't truly Turn that sin over to God and forsake it. You will not experience his reviving touch. And so Jonah had a faulty repentance. His response to Nineveh's faithful response shows that he had a, he had a, he had a faithless response. He, he was faithful to reply to what God had called him to do. But it was faithless. He hadn't really turned the sin over to God. Jonah had no intention of forgiving Assyria. He would not do it. He hated them. He wouldn't forgive them. He gripped it, and it had brought him to a place of delusion. He had no intention of giving up his idol. Verse 8, those who regard, those who hold on to worthless idols forsake their own mercy. He spoke it, but it was a reality in his own life. It was a reality in his own life. He would not let go of the hate. And Jonah had fainted and he needed real revival, but revival begins, listen friend, with a thorough dissatisfaction of yourself. Now again, revival's not for lost people. That's a spiritual awakening. Someone needs to experience spiritual life before they can be revived. Jonah had fainted. That means life existed before. Revival is for those who have fallen or fainted in their spiritual walk with Christ, and they, knew, and they need a new beginning. And that begins with a thorough dissatisfaction of oneself, just to sit and say, look what I've become. Look where I am spiritually. 
That newness that was once there when I first trusted Christ, it's not there anymore. I don't study God's Word. There's no joy in my life. I'm chasing all these worthless idols. I'm giving the best of my time, my life, my finances, everything. It's, it's all going for worldly things that have no spiritual significance whatsoever. God, I want to be, I want a new beginning. I don't want to live this way anymore. That's where revival begins with a thorough dissatisfaction of oneself. And, and Jonah never dealt with his heart. Verse 9, he says, I will sacrifice to you at the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I vowed. Salvation is the, of, of, of the Lord. He spoke truth, but he never dealt with his own personal heart. He never, he never owned it. Psalm chapter 51, after David had sinned, Nathan the prophet came and began to speak to David truth. David then humbled himself before the Lord. In verse number 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions. He says, I've done this. My sin is always before me. Verse 4, Psalm 51, he says, Against you and you only, God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He says, I did this. I'm confessing my sin. You've sent Nathan to say, I concur. I'm a sinner. But God, I'm confessing now. That led to change. Verse 10, he says, Create a clean heart in me, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit. David said, The sin that's there, I don't want it anymore. The idols, I don't want them anymore. Wasn't the case with Jonah. He would not let go of the hate. And friend, you will never experience God's reviving touch upon your life as a believer if you have fainted in sin until you ask God to create a new heart. I mean, to clean it out. That means every idol, every sin, it's got to go. You can't hold on to anything that God says can't be there. You want Him to clean house spiritually and give you a new, fresh beginning in the Lord. But he personalized his complaint, but he didn't, com he didn't personalize his sin in chapter 2. I mean my, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4, but not the case when he prayed. And so because there was no confession, there was no change. And because there was no change, there was no repentance. He had a faulty repentance. And because there was no repentance, there was no real revival. Now, I, I submit to you, the reason real revival never comes to most churches is because there are Christians who are part of the family of God who refuse to let go of sin in their hearts and lives. And it grieves and it quenches the working of the Holy Spirit in the work of that church. It doesn't hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in my personal heart, but as collectively we gather together, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, there's everybody together. It's, it's the collective church together, it, it quenches and it hinders the work of the Holy Spirit because people won't, won't let go of things. They won't let go. And so there's, there's, a faulty, there's a faulty repentance. And so it's a, it's a good question to ask that, you know, God, do I have a worthless idol in my life as a believer? Is there something that really I'm given the most of my time and attention to, that I really love her, I, I just won't go. I won't let go of. Is there something that's hindering revival in my life? Friend, if there is, let it go today. I mean, just listen to me. Don't be a Jonah. Don't end that way. It matters how you start, but it matters how you finish. And don't live your ministry life that way, just filled with hate 
or given the best of your life to some sin, some idol. Push all that away and love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself, and give yourself to what God has called you to do. Whatever that individual calling is within the life of the church. Become a master through the power of the Holy Spirit, of your spiritual gift. It's the Lord working through you. And choose to live on mission every day. Have a heart for people that God does. A heart that he sent his only son while we were yet sinners to die in their place. It's a love that only God can put there as we yield our hearts to him. If you stand in need of revival, call out today. Ask the Lord to forgive you and strip away all of those things. You know, we've called Jonah the reluctant prophet, but really we could have entitled our message the prophet who almost was. The prophet who almost was. He had the opportunity, the calling, but you compare him to the faithful men that God called, he never really was. He never really was. And do you know this? Hell's going to be full of people that could be entitled the Christian who almost was. The Christian who almost was. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, in verse number 22, Jesus says that many in that day, that's at the great white throne, when God turns hell upside down like a garbage can and lines everybody up in a single file line, one behind the other. And he compares that person to see if their name is in the Lamb's book of life, symbolizing that there's been a moment in their life where they've repented and trusted Christ because, listen, they concurred with God, they truly confessed their sin, and they turned and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, and change took place because they laid everything down for Jesus to be Lord of their life, just like the king of Assyria did. Jesus says, many who never did that, who never wholly trusted Christ. Many in that day will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? And Jesus will declare to them, say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were Christian in name only. And here's the reason why. Don't miss this. They had a faulty repentance. They prayed a prayer. They said, Jesus, save me, but they never repented. Jesus said, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. It's not about just saying and believing that Jesus is Lord and he died on the cross. The book of James says every demon in hell believes that. It's whether you'll truly turn from sin, repent from it, and trust Christ to be Lord of your life. And so the Bible says hell's going to be full of people who were almost Christian. Almost Christian. They sat on pews. They served. They, they may even told people how to be saved. But they never really, they had a faulty repentance. If that's you, stop. And I want to encourage you, don't harden your heart against God. This may be the last opportunity you ever have to be saved. This may be the last time that God's going to call and draw and invite you to turn and truly trust Him. And so if you've, ne if you've had a faulty repentance and you've never really trusted Christ, don't be the Christian who almost was. Be the person who today has an authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus because you truly turn and trust him. And do it right now. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But if it doesn't reflect the truth of your heart, it means nothing. But if you truly want to turn from all the sin that's in your life to get up off the throne of your life, just take all the pride off of you. Just set it all aside. And just humble yourself before God today and say, God, I'm nothing but a sinner. And I've got no hope unless you save me and you touch my life. 
And I'm turning from all the sin that's in my life. I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. Would you save me? Would you give me a, a new beginning? Friend, if you'll do that, and it comes from a heart that truly wants that, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll save you. So do it right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with you, but you make it yours. Pray just like this right now from a broken, repentant heart. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I want you to be. And God, I'm nothing but a sinner. I'm nothing. And I humble myself before you today. I believe with all my heart that you died in my place on the cross. Like Jonah came out of that whale, I believe you came out of the tomb. And I'm inviting you to come live in my heart and to be Lord of me. I don't want to be Christian in name only. I don't care what anybody's going to think or say. How many years I've been attached to the church or been around the church. I want to be right with you today. So I don't want a faulty repentance. I want a real repentance. So I'm humbly and simply am asking you to come into my heart and be Lord of me. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it this morning? Then would you not call us here at the church office, write us? Because we want to encourage you. We want to, we want to come behind you. Because Satan's going to really attack you now. He's going to try to tell you you're foolish. There's nothing to this. We want to come along beside you and behind you and encourage you in this new walk that you have with Christ. What about it, Christian? Are you a Jonah? Have you lost the joy? Do you care more about the gourd vine that's in your life than you do souls who are perishing all around us? Maybe let this be your prayer of confession today. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the day that you saved my soul. But God, forgive me that I've allowed myself to become so distracted with foolish things. Idols that I've loved and given more time and attention to than you. I confess it. I concur with you. It's not right. It's wrong. And I'm confessing that I've done this. God, I want a new beginning. Oh, God, give me a fresh start. God, give me new open doors of ministry. Help me to love people the way you do. Strip away the hate. Strip away the bitterness and the indifference and the apathy. And in these days, God, more than ever, more than ever, God, I want to live on mission so that one day, God, I can bump into somebody in heaven that I was able to be a part of seeing them come to know you for your glory. And for their good, God, revive me today. That was your prayer, friend. Walk in it. Don't let it be just a one-time thing. Really begin to walk and seize this opportunity. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. Grow in grace with Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for joining us today uh, for this service. If you have needs in your life, we pray that you'll call us and let us know. So we can be praying with you and we can encourage you uh, and have others come alongside and intercede on your behalf and pray for you as well. I want to share with you that uh, after Wednesday night service, the deacon body and myself met and uh, we talked as we've been praying for many weeks. And this Wednesday night, February 3rd at 6.30, we will resume in-person uh, worship here uh, on the church property. The youth will be meeting where they had been meeting uh, in the fellowship hall at 6.30, adults will be meeting here. It'll be the same format as before when we stopped.
uh, in December. Same protocols will be in place. Uh, we're not, it's, it's not encouragement. We're requiring all people while they're here on the church property, uh, from the time you get out of your car to the time you drive off the property, to have a mask on. Uh, you need to wash your hands, to sanitize your hands when you come in, and you need to social distance. Uh, so that means no hugging, no handshaking, none of those things. We just we want to continue to do our part in these days and pray and trust the Lord as he does his part and works out his will uh, through this virus and whatever his plan is in these days. And so we'll begin this Wednesday, and then the very next Sunday, 1030, uh, we'll meet right here in the gymnasium. So we'll send out more information. Uh, Tina will have a slide also on Facebook and on the Internet about uh, beginning again. If you have any questions, you can call us here at the office, and we'll try to answer those as best we can. And so we'll pray, and then uh, we'll hope you have a great week in the Lord. Father, thank you again for this time, for these that have gathered. Thank you for every family, every individual that's represented by those who have tuned in. God, those who are going to hear it later in the day. Next week, those across the country that uh, this uh, Internet ministry is impacting. We're so thankful for that. And Father, we pray that we'll have profitable times as we study your word uh, with you every day. Uh, God, we rise early to spend time in prayer and time studying your word. God, continue to open doors of opportunity. Help us to be bold, to share that hell's coming and that salvation can only be found through Jesus Christ and to invite people to turn and trust him. Again, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for a second chance, and thank you for the gift of revival. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. God bless you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you this Wednesday night, those that can and are able, at 6.30 right here on the church property.